You're listening to the Rural Advancement Podcast. Rural Advancement provides resources to empower, equip, and encourage rural pastors and churches. Join our community by visiting us at ruraladvancement.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Rural Advancement. This is the podcast that is designed by rural leaders and for rural leaders. It is our goal every single week, week in and week out, to bring you content that doesn't just speak to the rural church setting, but is spoken by people who get it, people who have lived, worked, and ministered in small, out-of-the-way places, and uh, people who value the work that God does there. Well, I am your host, Joe Epley, and today we get to have a conversation with uh, Pastor Paul Drost, uh, about kind of his journey and his experience in church planning and and uh, and what a what a wonderful story we're about to dive into. You know, we talk about how how we always want the, the kingdom of God to build and move forward, and church planning is a huge part of that. But uh, I'm going to let him tell us about his experience and 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 kind of help us walk through his journey. But first, I want to say, Pastor Paul, how are you doing today, sir? Joe, I'm doing well. It's terrific to be with you, and I look uh, so forward to it. Awesome. Well, I'm glad to hear that. I, I definitely have enjoyed each one of these talks that I've gotten to do with people, and I'm excited to learn something, and I think our listeners uh, will benefit as well. First thing I want to dive into is uh, we usually ask everybody to give us kind of a, a, a flyover, if you will, of um, where they've been, what they've done, kind of their connection to the rural church. So tell us about you know your journey in ministry. Yeah, uh, more than glad to. I was born in uh, Arusta County, Maine, and that's a great county that's very, very rural. It's as large or larger than the state of uh, Rhode Island and grew up in small towns. And my mom and dad were pastors uh, in Arusta County and then in other parts of Maine. And that's the only life that I knew and remember growing up in Maine way back in the day when many people didn't have electricity or indoor plumbing sure. and and some of that applied to us, and uh, but that was okay. We, that was just life, and later was called to the ministry, and we began on the Outer Banks of North Carolina in a place called Manteo on Roanoke Island. The Outer Banks of North Carolina is, while to so many people, it's a favorite destination spot, a vacation spot on the East Coast. Uh, in many, many ways, it is, it is uh, so rural. Once the off-season comes, we were on an island of a population, I think there might have been 1,100, something like that, and there were people in that church at that time who had never been off that island, and uh, some came to church uh, in bare feet. They would drive their Cadillacs and Lincolns with their suit and tie, but barefoot, Hmm. and that was island life. And everyone knew everybody. You were either an insider or an outsider. And that was true then in, in some of the small rural areas. But we we loved it, and we established lifelong friends there. And then uh, continued on in, in ministry, and we went back to uh, northeastern Pennsylvania. My hometown was a small town of about 4,000 people. And interestingly enough, the first three churches that I candidated for, they were all rural. Hmm. First two didn't want us, didn't think we were qualified. And the third one, I I didn't want to go there. Of the (laughs) 24 people, 20 were of the same family. And uh, it just wasn't just wasn't for us. And then we continued on in ministry, and we've been in a, a variety of places, some small, some large but have always been connected to rural. And uh, I've often said to people that if you can pastor in rural communities, you can pastor, I believe, 
anywhere. And in fact, there are some studies out there that growing up in the rural communities, you become so resourceful. You have to be to thrive and to survive. You have to get along with people. And then eventually in ministry, our paths took us to Springfield, Missouri, we were asked to assume the church planning directorship, a national church planning director for the United States for the General Council of the Assemblies of God. And we bought a farm up in Ashgrove, Missouri, and it was rural life all over. Mm-hmm. Um, the local high school had uh, 35 students that would graduate, and the biggest thing in town was Friday night football uh, and then the basketball games. And yeah. uh, and we thor- we just thoroughly enjoyed it. But once again, we experienced uh, an insider outsider type of deal. But one of the one of the farmers that was well known in the area took a liking to us, and that was our entrance. And from then on, once he introduced us, we were in, and we had a just a wonderful season while we were there. Yeah, and then after that, from what I understand, when you left Springfield, you uh, planted. I think a church in your current context. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. And where we are right now is uh, uh, I definitely wouldn't classify it as rural. It's in Bel Air, Maryland, outside of Baltimore. It's in a place called Harford County, but it's on the East Coast. And I think sometimes the stereotype is if you're on the East Coast, it's nothing but wall-to-wall people and it is all urban. And I can... I can assure you nothing can be further from the truth. Our county now has about a quarter of a million people. Wow. But we, our church is in a, a, a town called Churchville. But <laughs> it's yeah, interestingly enough, uh, and, and it is great root. Our county is the seat of Methodism in the United States. Oh, wow. Asbury is from here. Abingdon, we lived in the town of Abingdon. They're all names familiar. Cokesbury are all names familiar with the United Methodists and the Presbyterians. Back in the 1700s, about two miles from our church, there's a Presbyterian church, and John and Charles Wesley had visited our county, and the Presbyterians had a great revivals, I believe it was with George Whitfield. But even Churchville was then a farming community, and while there are a lot of developments now, there's still, there's old Harford County and there's new Harford County. Mm. And the old Harford County is made up of those large landowners. And there's still feed mills here, beautiful farms, horse farms, beef cattle farms, a lot of grain farms in the middle of the bustling East Coast. Mm. And right, right about 20 miles from us is Cecil County. And that's very rural. It's interesting, even in the heart of the East Coast, it too is a mixture of urban and the rural. Sure. And uh, and what a breadth of experience. You know, one of the things I enjoy about this podcast the most is we get people who have been some places, seen some things. Uh-huh. You know, I, I think yes. when we talked last, you mentioned that... Uh, you know, the Assemblies of God is divided up into all these districts, uh, and you've preached in like 37 of them, I think, if I count yes, right, you know, yes. and so that's pretty, it's pretty cool that you've gotten to see such a slice of churches and church planning and, yeah. and both rural and urban, but, um, but that's part of our topic today is uh, uh, I, I'm always intrigued by people who are kind of in the thick of church planning by this next question, because I think that, uh, you know, it's an intimidating subject when you say, hey, let's go plant a church. 
uh, some pastors will say, hey, that's not my cup of tea or, or you know, yeah. I'm, I'm doing what the Lord's called me to do, but that seems difficult or it takes a sp- certain kind of person. But I uh-huh. guess uh, I'm always curious on the answer. So do you think every pastor should seek to you know, kind of be a church planner by default or not? I mean, why or why not? You know, how, how do those two things come together in your mind, you know? Yeah, that's a great question. First of all, I, I believe that everyone is called to multiplication. That's mm. from the Garden of Eden. From Genesis 1, 26 through 28 is known as the creation mandate or the cultural mandate where God said to Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and to reign, rule over it. As God's representatives, that's what Adam and Eve, that's who they were. God had given them a purpose. He placed them in the garden. And by the way, God is the original planter. Uh, you'll yeah, find that true. throughout the Old Testament. He yeah. said, I will, I will plant my people. I will plant you, that you may be the plantings of the Lord. And so Adam and Eve were called to multiply and to fill the earth with the presence and the ways of the Lord. And today, we are still called to fill the earth with the presence and the ways of the Lord. And in fact, the Great Commission, many call that the second creation Mm. or cultural mandate. It's the new covenant now. But Jesus said, go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples and baptizing them. So everyone's called to expand the kingdom. Some people by calling and by gifting are, are planters. That there's no doubt about it. Sure. Uh, that's one of the reasons that a successful church planting system does assessments of people. For instance, you know, I love baseball. I sure. I my dream was to be a major leaguer, but the real truth of it is I never did have the physical capabilities of what it mm. took or just like worship I love to worship and I sound real I sound terrific in the shower mm, but no one yeah. wants me to lead worship but I'm called to worship and I think every pastor is called to be a planter or to be a parent mm. but we're above all we're called to multiply and that can be done that's done in a number of ways. Yeah, I love that. I love that that leaves room for each pastor's individual gift, but also still puts the pressure on in, in that very most common of yes. ways to say, hey, whatever this looks like, we're going forward, we're building the kingdom, we're multiplying. Yes. That's, that's good stuff. Yes. Well, uh, can you maybe highlight, and, and obviously, I mean, man, we could probably do a whole podcast with just stories, but but I've always been encouraged by stories of what the Lord is doing. And so maybe if you could even pick pick two, you know, two stories where you got to see uh, God planted church that was just incredible or uh, a story of revitalization. But I just love to, uh, for you to encourage our listeners, uh, you know, what happens when God shows up, you know, uh, what, what can happen, you know? Yes. Uh, first of all, I believe that if God has called us to plant, uh, God, God will show up. Mm, uh, when amen. we take a big, a big step for God, God takes a big step for us. And it's been just, I've had a wonderful privilege and many opportunities to see church planting up close and in a variety of of circumstances. We've been, we were part of a church plant in Missouri, Springfield, Missouri, out of James River and uh, North Point. And we were on the church planting team. And that was an incredible experience. And we thank the Lord for that. And North Point is 
is in existence today, and I, I believe it's larger than ever. What made that work? It was because a trusted staff member who had been with uh, John Lindell for nine years and who was known by the congregation when he asked Pastor John that he he sensed that the Lord was calling him there, John Lindell affirmed that. He, and, uh, and, and in fact, I, uh, I knew John quite well, and, and he had been in our home. We had a church planting fellowship all for the students at CBC and Evangel and AGTS, and John was one of our guests. But anyway, what made that work as a, a parent church is that they took a trusted staff member and John publicly affirmed him and allowed and blessed people from the congregation to go with him. So that was that's one way to do it, to parent. And in fact, that parenting is often the, the most successful way. Mm. On the other end of the spectrum, and I've been in a number of rural church plants in Minnesota, in Foley, uh, Minnesota, Jim Vanwald and his wife, Tina, that, now, that's a town of 2,900. If you go to Foley and you want to go to a restaurant, when I was there, I've been there a few times, and there is a Chinese restaurant next to a subway, and the Chinese restaurant had pictures of John Wayne, and it, it, was, so, it was quite a different experience. What I'm getting at, there, there's no really fine dining there. It, sure. it's, a, it's a crossroads, and yet... Jim Van Wald, who is a West Point grad, and his wife, Tina, who is also credentialed, have planted a church there that uh, runs between four and five hundred. And, oh, wow. But they, yes, they have embedded themselves in the community, a primarily Catholic community. Uh, mm. Jim was a good athlete, a hockey player and a baseball player, and they went into that community, and they understood the culture that was there. As an outsider, they just couldn't parachute their way in and say, look, we're here, y'all start coming to church. So he became the coach of the baseball team. Of led that He's led that small town to several, uh, I believe, a state championship. And, oh, wow. and even this year, they were well on their way to the finals. But it's taken a number of years but that is a gorgeous facility, and they, once again, they have four or 500 people, and they're building. They're actually mm. expanding right now. It's a terrific facility. Of course, Denny Curran in Cold Spring, and I've been there with Denny. I've fished with Denny. That's a, that's a town that's uh, maybe 2,900. It's the center of Granite uh, uh, Country. But he has planted several churches around there, in addition to Cold Spring. And Cold Spring, if you walk in there, you think you're in a Bass Pro. I mean, it just mm. just the way it's designed, they, they're called to bless the community. And then Danny has pastored and planted several churches at the same time with what some call the circuit rider method. Mm. Um, he would preach on Sunday nights in an outlying village. And there's several churches that have sprung up uh, because of that. Then there's Mark Hoffman in uh, Ewing, Nebraska. What a great story. I don't know if you've heard of I Mark not. or not. Oh, uh, luckily, goodness. if people do want to hear Denny Curran's stories, you can actually go back yes. a few episodes on our podcast where we okay. had him on. But yes. uh, I would love to hear about Ewing, uh, Nebraska. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, 
and I met Mark. He was in the rural advancement master's class. And oh, sure. uh, yeah, I, I teach, uh, teach that for Dwight and Nadine. And Mark is a very unassuming person. Sometimes we think of church planters as being uh, so entrepreneurial, sure. bigger than Big personality, life. yep. Yeah, John Wayne. We're go- you know, Mark is very unassuming. He's in Ewing, Nebraska, a town of about 350 people. Hmm. He, he has a church of 30. And some would look at that and say, oh, that's not very large. Well, uh, he's getting up close to 10% of the town in yeah. his church. But God put in his heart to multiply, and so he does what he calls micro-churches. He has started two. There's another one now that is, so this is the third one. They're 10 to 12, in his case, it's men, that he disciples. They've come to the Lord, and they begin meeting some uh, some years ago would call this model a cell model, but it, he calls sure. it the microchurch model. Now, this this uh, summer and fall, another one that he's part of is in the local feedlot. Hmm. And some men have given their life to Jesus. And so now they are studying, they come together, they worship together, and they're microchurches. And uh, then a year and a half ago, a diesel mechanic got saved. And now he's winning people to the Lord, and uh, Mark is training him to start a micro church right there. So wow. uh, there you go, you know. So there's yeah. as many people that he's multiplied outside of the church as you would as what's in the church. Now the local church is catching this, and one of the board members wants to start a micro church also. Wow, what a cool set of stories, and and what yeah, variety, you yeah. know. I- I think yeah. it's a fun reminder to to tell us like, hey, when we when we step out and say, God, we want to multiply, that the, the sky is the limit because God's God's involved. Yes, and powerful testimony. Well, hey, let's dive into this. Uh, you know, how important is it for a rural pastor to be called both to the church they serve in and to the community itself? Because I think a lot of people would argue this point. And they would say, well, yeah, God called me to this this church, but I don't really like the town I'm in. But but when it comes to the rural church, why is why is both so important? Yeah, what a great question. Again, I, it's it's for this reason. I think that's true of any setting, really, to be sure, a church planter. Sure. But God calls us to people. It's hard to have a burden for people, if you would, if you don't like them. Yeah, that's fair. Believe it or not, there are similarities between the inner city, what we call the blighted inner cities or the hood, and and rural. As church planting director, almost all of the inner city church plantings and U.S. missionaries were under my purview. And I began to notice the similarities and what the successful people told me in the urban, I also knew was true in the rural, that if you're going to make it there, you can't be a fly-by-nighter. You don't fool anybody in the hood. And in the rural context, you don't fool very many people either. Mm. They've been there down in the South. And I went to Southeastern University. I'll, I'll never forget Tommy Wilson, who taught our homiletics class. He said, in some of these towns, you men, you're going to be called to 
and you think you're going to turn the world upside down and their people are sitting there and in their mind, they're thinking, yes, young man, we've been here for 40 years. We've been eating our ham and red-eye gravy every morning and we'll be here after you're gone. And so if we're ever going to reach those people, we have to show them that we love them. Mm. We're called to not only a place, but we're called to the people in that place and that we're willing to have an incarnational ministry that empties itself of a lot of preconceived ideas and notions, and that we're going to walk with, we're going to love, we're going to identify with, we're going to be there for their funerals, we're going to be there if it's a farming area, visit them on the farm, if offered a pitch in, whatever it is, But we have to love those people that the Lord has called us to, or quite frankly, the prospects aren't very good. Yeah, that that really resonates true. And I love that you you have the experience and the breadth to have seen that in multiple places to say, hey, most most people, you know, rural or not, can recognize if you love them or not. (laughs) And it's no matter how much we want to grow a church, it's either about them or it's not, you know? Yes. Uh, well, final question for you then, and uh, this is just, I think, an appropriate place to to close it, because I, I always love to see maybe the heart, personally, of each pe- person that we get to interview, and, uh, and yours uh-huh. is no different. But uh, I know when we were talking on the phone, there was a moment where you talked about what it is to really be spent for ministry, you know what I'm saying, to really be poured out in that way. And so where do you draw that attitude from, and why do you think it's important for a minister to have this kind of mentality? Yeah. Well, you know, I was uh, I was in Penn State University and in a forest science program and the Lord called me. I was one called me in the ministries one night I was in in church and uh, it was back to Bible college night. We had a number of uh, my friends were in Bible college and they were preaching and you know back then that we had testimony services and all that. And the Lord said I want you in the ministry and I said yes to the Lord. I've never looked back. But when he called me, he, he called all of me. Mm. And when he called the rich young ruler, the rich young ruler was ready to follow him. But he said, but, and the Lord said, you have to give it all up or you're not mm. worthy to follow me. And so I, uh, and I watched my parents in ministry. They would expend themselves. They lived sacrificially. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. And he said it. And, and daily. And he said, I'll make you to become fishers of men. And so that and the Apostle Paul, when he talked about shipwrecked and stoned and left for dead, and yeah, he said, I was, uh, yeah, he said, I was with you like a nursing mother and all of those things. And he, he said to Timothy, he said, you're like a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer, and mm. all of those things, you're either all in if you're going to be a champion True. or not. And, you know, I, I think sometimes, Joe, I, I hear today, I hear people talking about boundaries in ministry, and, and I recognize all that. Mm-hmm. I recognize all that. But I believe the Lord has given us a Sabbath. There are times when we have to, we have to be like Nehemiah with a sword, a sword in one hand and a trowel in another. We can't live like that. Right but there's times to do it. But my heart's call to the Lord has been, Lord, you use me any way that you see fit. Uh, Lord, spend me, spend me. So I've entrusted myself to the Lord, knowing that he's not going to spend me in a reckless way. 
He's exercised stewardship over my life, and I can entrust myself to him. Paul said he called himself a love slave Mm. of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the love slave, you know, Roman times, they were the ones that they would volunteer. They loved their master so much. They would say, I know I can be emancipated, but I want to live in your house I want to serve you with the rest of my life. And mm. I, I believe that's, uh, I do that not out of compulsion, but because that's the desire of my heart. Mm. Man, what a beautiful note of encouragement to end on. Yes. I, uh, I think you've hit the heartbeat of a generation where you recognize the need for boundaries, but also say, and these, there are elements of how to build the faith. And that is what the Bible shows, shows over and over is that sacrifices is, is large and repeated, you know? And so, yes. um, well, thank you, Pastor Paul. This has just been a delightful mm-hmm. conversation. Thank you for being on today. Yes. It's hey, terrific. And uh, I mentioned your state is the one state I've not been to. So mm-hmm. maybe one of these days we'll cross paths. Sounds delightful to me. Well, from all of us at Rural Advancement, we want to just want to say thank you uh, for tuning in today. Again, it is our heart every single week to bring you content that is spoken right to where you're at. Uh, as always, you can find us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or RuralAdvancement.com. But true to form, uh, the best way to spread this podcast is to uh, maybe listen to one of these conversations and find somebody you think who would benefit from it and just pass the word right along. So uh, I have been your host, Joe Epley. He has been Pastor Paul Drost, and we will see you next week.